Thanks, Dale. Does anybody else have anything to share? Anything that the Lord spoke over them and in worship or throughout the week? Thanks. Going once, going twice. Sold. Okay. Well, then I'm going to jump in. Um, Actually, I'm going to do this, and then I'll jump in. You guys might have seen this on your seat. Dale, yours might have been turned into a paper airplane by a child. (laughs) There you go. So that's an announcement. Uh, National Day of Prayer is this coming Thursday, May 2nd. Um, As you can see on the flyer, it's happening at Azusa First Assembly of God Church, which is right there, just a couple of streets down on Alameda, Um, 7 p.m. Come and pray with us. Rick's going to lead, and he's he's having pastors pray as well, but I think he is also going to have a time of having people come up and kind of do a rapid-fire thing. So if you can come and join in that, that would be awesome. Um, and if you can't, you will be missed, but we would love to have your prayers and, um, we're a family here, so let's just gather together and be a family there too. Um, so that's what that is. All right. Um, before I start, before I just jump in, I really felt from the Lord something sweet happened here this morning during worship. I don't know if anybody else felt it or if it was just me. Um, but sometimes I also feel like we can get caught up in like the next thing, you know, it's super sweet and you know, it's sweet, but you forget to actually breathe it in. So before I start, I'm just going to, we're just going to breathe it in. We're just going to do a couple of just deep breaths in, deep breaths out, especially you parents, man, take a few deep breaths. Your kids are back there being well taken care of. (laughs) Just take a deep breath. So just real quick, just a few deep breaths in. One more time. Okay. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you um, that you are peace. You are the Prince of Peace, that shalom peace that is all-encompassing. So today we just, as as we hear your message, we just... Um, We choose to rest in that. Give us, as Emmy prayed for the children, I also pray for us big kids. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts that are willing to receive um, and act. We thank you, Father. Amen. Uh, So today, I'm going to talk about Peter. And I'm going to talk about a, about a very specific time, a very specific moment. Um, as I've been studying this week, I found myself really diving into Peter's life, who Peter was. Um, I, I talk about this with friends all the time, and I have friends who are like this as, as well as myself. Um, I love stories. I love a good story. I love a good character. If you can get me sold on a character, I will probably be a fan of whatever TV show 
or movie or song that you're selling me. Um, Marvel did a great job. I have not seen the last movie yet. Gonna see it, but they did a great job of like really selling the characters and you really feel invested. Maybe I'm alone in that, but. Um, so that's kind of what happened. As I was reading this moment that Peter had with Jesus, I all of a sudden was like, who was Peter? So I looked into that. Um, so we're gonna start from kind of the beginning I left a lot of things out, but I left in the important things as pertains to the story that we're going to go over. So Peter's name, his birth name that he went by is Simon, um, which is a derivative, if you will, of Simeon. And Simeon, that name means hearing. Now, the root word of that in Hebrew is Shema. And as we learned, as I've learned from our dear, sweet friend, Elisa, um, Shema is a really fun word. It's a very interesting word. Shema means not only to hear, but it has the implication of to then obey. So it's not, when you, when you read Hero Israel, what God is saying at that point is, Israel, pay attention, because what I'm about to tell you, I'm going to need you to act on. You have a choice that you're either going to do it or you're not. Um, and so that's what Peter's name means. His given name means to hear and then obey. And that's very important to keep in mind. Um, reading the it's to know about his character. Who was Peter? Who did the people know him as? His friends, his family, his coworkers, who kind of inevitably were his family. Um, what was he like? And so according to, the, to the, the commentary, this is who Peter was. He was hopeful, bold, confident, courageous, frank, impulsive, energetic, vigorous, strong, loving, and faithful to his master. It is true that he was liable to change and be inconsistent. And because of his peculiar temperament, he sometimes appeared forward or rash. His virtues and faults had a common root in his enthusiastic disposition, and the latter, being his faults, were often overruled by divine grace, which led to the most beautiful humility and meekness as evidenced in his two epistles. So that's who everybody, where he came from, knew him as. And that's, I get Peter. Um, so that's Peter's character. That's how he carried himself. That's what he was filled with and all of that. So all of that leads into the next point of why on earth did he have two names? <laughs> um, why did Jesus give him two names? So in John chapter 1, verse 42 is the first time that Peter and Jesus meet. That's their first encounter. It comes off of the heels of his brother Andrew, who was a disciple of John the Baptist. He was there when John declared, behold, the Lamb of God and the baptism and all of that. Um, so witnessing that, Andrew's like, I've got to go get my brother. So he goes to get his brother. He brings him back and introduces Simon to Jesus. And Jesus's response to Simon is, your name is Simon, son of Jonah but you will be called Cephas or Peter. Cephas is Aramaic, Peter is Greek. 
So you will be called Cephas, or rock stone. So why was he then given that name? I don't believe that it was in place of. It wasn't a replacement name. Um, and here's why I think that. From that moment, from that first encounter with, between Jesus and, and Simon, Jesus continues to call him Simon. Uh, there's a few places in the Gospels that he refers to him as either Simon Peter or just Peter, but more often than not, he just refers to him as Simon. The second thing that I think points to that is in Matthew 16, um, which is when Peter confesses Jesus as Christ. We know that in that moment, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? They name a bunch of really cool guys, but that's not who he is. So then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter declares, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's at that moment that Jesus responds to Peter or to Simon and says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which is just Simon, son of Jonah, for the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven and I also say to you that, you're, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So it's an adding. He already addressed him as Simon, and then he says, you will also be Peter. So here's what I think was going on with Jesus and this other name, the second name. In the Old Testament, when Moses was establishing the tabernacle and there was all the laws, the high priest had a bunch of responsibilities and in that was dealing with the lepers or the unclean. So the high priest was the only person who can deem was the most commonly used or place for this. So if you were deemed a leper, the priest would inspect you and he would say, you are a leper. You were then, we know, cast out of the city, right? And you were no longer associated with society. You were basically death, and that's why they didn't associate with them, because they were walking death. Now, on the miracle, because we know that there is still no cure for leprosy, on the miracle that somehow you no longer have leprosy, the high priest was the only person who could then look at you, inspect you, and declare to society and you, you're clean. So he was the only one who could say, you have gone from unclean to clean, and all of society would say, oh, okay, now we can, we can be in community with you and bring you back into our circles, okay? Now, remember, we read in Peter's character that he had this knack for being really inconsistent and really unreliable, that he, he was kind of flighty. And we've seen that in his life, right? We've seen how he can sometimes be, you're like, what just happened? One minute you were great, the next minute you're like, what? So that's how Peter was known. Now, when Peter was brought in as a disciple, he was not some, like, 12-year-old kid. He was 30 or 40. So when Jesus called Peter, Andrew, John, and James, he was 30 or 40. So he's had 30 to 40 years of walking around where he's from in Galilee and people knowing him as kind of unreliable, Right? Well, Jesus just declared he's about to, this is the guy he's going to build his church with. 
So what was Jesus doing? He was acting as the high priest saying, no, 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 you're going to go from being this flighty guy who people can't really trust and can't really depend on to being the rock, really firm and steady and faithful. So that's the, he wasn't doing away with Simon because we're going to see in the story that I'm depicting, we're going to see why his name Simon was actually really important to his other name, Peter. Okay? So that's what's with the two names. So that's why we have Peter, Simon, Peter, Simon, Peter. SP is not a cool nickname, so we'll just go with Peter. So that's Peter. There's a lot of other really cool things if you ever get the chance. If you're like me and you love characters, look into Peter because he's not just a character. He actually lived. And there was really cool things that I learned. Um, but for the sake of today, we're going to just live with those facts. So we're moving into the story. The story is Matthew chapter 14 if you're an open Bible kind of person. Otherwise, you can follow along in the notes. Um, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. We're going to start from the beginning. Let me make sure I covered everything that I wanted to cover. We're good. Okay. So we're just going to pick it up. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he went, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, sorry, I forgot I took this part out, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And the disciples saw him walking on the sea. They were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. We're going to stop there. So, yet again, the disciples, Jesus had just, excuse me, for context, um, right before this happened was the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus and the disciples have just been ministering all day and miracles and signs and wonders and all of that. And true to Jesus' form, um, he's pushing everybody away because he needs to go have his alone time with the Father. Oh, may I learn how to do that. Um, so that's what's happening. He's, he's pushing them away and he's telling the disciples, get out of here so the multitudes will scatter and, and I can go be with the Father. So that's why he sends the disciples away. So the disciples, 12 guys, are sailing on the sea, and yet again, a storm breaks out. Apparently, the Sea of Galilee was known for, like, random storms that just pop up out of nowhere. So these poor guys are in the middle of the sea, sailing their boat, and the wind starts. This is a windstorm, and they're being tossed about. Now, think about it. It's sometimes... I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I forget, like, the logistics of what that must have meant for them. Like, I'm just thinking, I'm just reading this chronologically, thinking, like, oh, they're on a boat, then there's a storm, then Jesus appears. And then, like, no, like, hours they've been fighting this storm, keeping their boat from capsizing and flipping and sinking and all of that. So they've been working really hard after they've been ministering all day. So they're exhausted, and when Jesus finally comes out into the sea, it's like 3 to 6 a.m. It's somewhere in between. That fourth watch is 3 to 6 a.m. So they're really, really tired, 
which is probably why they thought, it's a ghost, and started freaking out, which they were probably already on edge because they're in the middle of a storm. So there's a lot of components at play here. When Jesus decides, okay, I'm done with my quiet time, now let me just go walk on the sea, like everybody does, as you would. Um, I just, sometimes the Bible, you just read it and you go, of course you did. You just walked on the sea. It's fine. So Jesus heads out to them. They see Jesus and they scream, it's a ghost. Now they're really, really scared. And he, he tells them, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Be of good cheer is the same in the Greek. It's the same in, yeah, it's the same in the Greek as it is in the Hebrew. It's just be of good courage. But it's an, it's an imperative. So Jesus is commanding them. He's telling them, hey, guys, it's okay. Be courageous. You're good. You're doing a great job. Now, remember, in context of what's about to happen and Peter's response, remember what his name is. His name is Simon. To hear and then to obey. So Jesus has just told the disciples, stop being afraid. You're all is well. It's just me, your buddy, Jesus. Just take a chill pill, essentially. And so Peter's response to him, picking up in verse 28, is, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Really quickly. I know I have two more verses to read, but what? He was just really afraid. And then Jesus said, be of good courage. It's me, your buddy. Don't be afraid. And his response is, if it's you, tell me to come to you. He definitely listened and obeyed. I don't understand that. So then Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on water to go to Jesus. So like I said, Peter, Simon, like his name would imply, listens, heeds the imperative that Jesus has just given, be of good courage. And he decides to say, Lord, if it's you, I want to be where you are. I want to do what you're doing. So tell me to come on out and I'll do it. So Jesus says, all right, buddy, come on out. And then he jumps out. Again, the storm has not, nothing has changed. There was always a storm. It wasn't like the storm just stopped when Jesus started walking on the water. There was a storm go, start walking on water. Because Jesus said, come. still can't get over it. So Peter starts walking on water. But then something happens. What happens? But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out he cried out saying, "Lord, save me." And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, "Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Okay. So, I'm going to talk about, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Um, yes, Jesus is talking about quantity of faith. He is talking about the measure of faith that Peter had. But that is not the issue here. Okay. 
I feel like sometimes that's what's taught and that phrase can be focused on a little more than it has to be. That is not Jesus's point when he talks to Jesus, when he, or when he talks to Peter, when he grabs his hand and brings him up out of the water. That's not his point. His point is, why did you doubt? Let me explain. Has anybody here ever taught a child how to ride a bike? Okay. I've got a couple, how to ride a bike. Have you ever taught a, a child how to ride a bike? Okay. Um, as one who has been the child learning how to ride the bike and also being the one holding onto the seat. As a parent or grown up, when you're teaching them how to ride a bike without trading wheels, there comes a point when you're walking alongside them and you're holding onto the seat that you can feel the momentum shift from being really, really wobbly because they've worked, because we know that bikes work with pedals. You work up enough momentum and the balance kind of comes, right? It just kind of comes and you just feel it. You know as a parent, you're like, oh, they did it. They've reached it. They've reached capacity and I can let them go, right? So there's that feeling. And hopefully if you do it right, you kind of gently just like, Exactly. So you just kind of let them go gently so that they don't know, they don't look back, and they think mom and dad or aunt is just still hanging on and all is well, I'm doing great. Now, how many of us know, maybe you haven't taught a child how to ride a bike, but you've probably learned how to ride a bike. How many of us know, as the one learning how to ride a bike, you think everything is fine, right? But how many of you know that you were actually still riding the bike? When the parent let go, you're still riding the bike. The bike is still up, and you haven't run into bushes or fallen on the floor. Like, you're doing it, right? All of that to say that you're riding your bike. You just think you have your parent, but you don't. Now, the parent knows standing back, they're doing it. What changes between the moment that everything's fine and dandy to the moment that they go, oh no, and start worrying, and then eventually either fall into bushes or fall on the ground or whatever. What changes? Their focus, doubt. Yes, they realize they're not being supported. What happens is all of a sudden, they're like, they think you're still behind them, so they look back and think, oh, like they're just like, oh my gosh, they're not there. And they believe the lie, it's not, I shouldn't be doing this. I can't do this. But see, the reality, the truth of the situation is they were the only thing. Nothing in that changed was doubt. That's the only thing. Nothing in their outer circumstances changed besides the fact that you let go. But they were still doing it when you let go. Same thing with Peter. Peter was walking on water. Do you guys realize that? He did walk on water before he started to sink. It was the moment that he realized, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm not able to do this. I can't do this. That all of a sudden, he started going down. So what Jesus is saying when he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He's focusing on why did you doubt? 
See, Peter went from having whatever measure of faith he had, which was more than good enough for him to be walking on water, and then he doubted. So he went from having faith to not having faith. I think we worry too much about our measure of faith. We are so focused on how much faith do I have and does that make me qualified that we just end up not doing it. And I think the exhortation on that one is stop measuring about where your stop worrying about where your measure of faith is because he's not worried about it. He's not worried. If he asks you to do something that means you have all you need. So stop worrying about it. That moment with Jesus that Peter has was not the last time that he failed. Um, We know that he had a few more moments, mishaps, if you will. Um, the, one of the more interesting moments that Peter has, I, I read to you guys the, um, when Peter confesses Jesus as Christ, the son of the living God. A few verses down, that's when Peter rebukes Jesus for prophesying about his death. So literally, he goes from one moment being like, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And then the next minute, he, minute he's like, shut your mouth, you're not going to die. I just love that. See, he's a little bit flighty. <laughs> One minute he's like really good, and the next minute you're like, oh my God. He's that emoji. He's that hand in the face emoji. He's like, oh my gosh, Peter, why? Um, we know that the moment, uh, another moment that is not so glamorous for Peter is when he's in the garden, numerous times in the garden, he falls asleep on Jesus. All Jesus asked him to do was pray, and he's just like, I can't do it. <laughs> um, and then again in the garden, he cuts the guy's ear off because now he's going to save the Savior, you know, that, that moment. Remember that? Um, but the final one, and probably the biggest one, and the, probably the biggest gut punch to, Peter's, to Peter was when he denied Christ after saying he would die with him. So, man, again, I love Peter. John's, like, super cool. I love John. And sometimes I want to be like John, but I like, I get Peter. Peter gets me. Um, So yeah, like I said, Peter had a lot of other moments. There's the walking on the water, but then there's those three moments. And I love keeping with the prophecy that Jesus declares over Peter when he gives him the name change. And then again, when he reminds him that you are going to be the rock upon which I build my church is the moment Jesus dies. Sorry. Jesus gets arrested. Peter denies Christ. 
And again, I feel like that was a gut punch to him. And he was really shaken by that moment. The, the realization that what he had just done and the gravity of what he had just done was massive. And I don't know what would have happened had Jesus not been at that shore. See, because we know in the story, Peter saw Jesus after the resurrection. He saw the grave empty. He saw Jesus numerous times in the house when they're all like shaking with fear, doors locked, because they're like, oh my gosh, we're suspects in all of this. He walks through the walls and like scares them again. Um, Jesus has a knack for it. He's like that friend that just like, boo! <laughs> Man, that guy, don't do that. <laughs> we, we all have that friend, guys, come on. Um, so, so Peter sees Jesus. It's not like he needed to have that moment, but he did need to have that moment. So that moment with Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn there. Peter is broken. He is wrapped up in shame and guilt and fear and worry. What did I do? What did I do? And even though he's seen Jesus, I don't think he fully received what that meant for him. That that moment where he denied Christ was taken care of already and he didn't have to walk in that. He still chose to. So Jesus, being the great friend and brother that he is, shows up at the shore. And you wanna know the beautiful part about this story? They're all fishing again. They all go fishing. And, and so they have a rough night again. They don't catch anything. And then Jesus is at the shore and he says, hey, put your nets on the right side. So then they did. And then they caught all the fish. And that's when John, the beloved disciple, says, it's the Lord. And Peter goes, what? And then he jumps out of the boat again. You guys, he like twice now, when he walks on water, they're all fighting to keep the boat afloat and like in direction. And he's like, it's Jesus. And now this time they've got a whole bunch of fish and they're all like trying to bring in the net. And he's like, it's Jesus. And he dives out and John makes sure to say that he jumps out of the boat, but then the other ones came to shore. John likes to write about himself. Um, but they all go to shore. So anyway, this is the moment that Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. So then he gives the imperative. He says, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. So tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Or Simon, do you love me? And he says, yes, you, yes, I do. Feed my sheep. Again, Jesus is giving him commandments. He's giving him imperatives. And what do we see just a couple of chapters after that? However, it has to be between what? The 40, Jesus is on earth for 40 days, and then he ascends back into heaven. So it has to be somewhere in between one to 40 days before Jesus goes back, that he has this conversation. And then 
10 days later, who's the guy to chat on Pentecost teaching? Who's the guy two chapters after that who gets thrown in prison and beaten for teaching about Jesus and then released and then does it again? It's all Peter. Um, it's not known for sure, but it would seem as though Peter was kind of unofficially the leader of the disciples. He wouldn't have admitted to that. He wouldn't have wanted that. We talked about his humility. He, I don't think that he probably necessarily viewed himself as such, but he was, and he was inevitably the spokesperson too. But what I'm trying to depict here with Peter is that in moments, there were definitely moments with Peter where he didn't feel like that person. He didn't feel like the rock upon which Jesus was going to build his church. There were definitely moments where circumstances around him didn't lend themselves for him to be the rock. It could have been really, really tempting when he's thrown in prison numerous times or beaten or mocked or whatever that he's like, shoot, I'm done. I'm out. But nevertheless, the guy has two names. It's to hear and obey, and then to be faithful, to be steadfast, to be firm. So what's my point in saying all of this? Jesus makes a bold declaration that on this rock, he is going to build his church. What was the rock? a faith-filled man who was willing to do whatever Jesus told him to do. That is what his church was built on. A faithful man. Being faith-filled leads to, leads to you being faithful. Do you understand that? Being faith-filled leads to you being faithful. Anybody knows that your faithfulness is not tested in the easy and simple ways of life. Your faithfulness is tested when things really suck. But we all have a measure of faith. Whether it's the size of a mustard seed or whether it's a big, strong tree, we all have a measure of faith in what Jesus says is it's good enough, whatever it is. But it's not your mustard seed faith. If that's where you are right now, which is, again, totally fine. Some days I feel like that. If, if your faith is the side of a mustard seed right now, the only way that it's going to get to become a tree is if you use it. We're all given muscles, right? in our bodies, we all have muscles? Well, we don't all look like David. <laughs> we don't all look like the movie stars, action heroes, right? What did they have to do to look like that? Use them. Workout people. How are muscles built, simply put? Is it in the repetition or is it in just the tension? Both. 
super easy. <laughs> but, but that's what I love, and that's why I asked. It's built in resistance. If you're never ever put to the, if you're never resisted, if you never have to endure anything, if you never have to endure a storm, your faith is never going to grow. So, I heard I don't know if this is true. So you could totally tell me if I'm wrong, but I heard this once in, in another sermon. That redwood trees, the reason that they are so stable and really hard to bring down is because their root systems have gone so deep and they've intertwined with each other. So all of their, their root systems are so big and they go so deep that they've all kind of just become one big root system and they kind of wrap around each other. So that's why they're so steadfast and steady. Why do I say that? Because again, your measure of faith is not the issue we have. It's not the issue you have. And the powerful thing that happens when a bunch of people join together and join their faith together, you get a church. Like Jesus said, that was the purpose of church, to be a community where you bind your root systems together no matter how deep it goes or not. Cool, if somebody else is deeper, that's great for them. But why don't you just like attach yourself to them, not in an unhealthy way. But why don't you attach yourself to them and add your faith to it, and maybe your faith will become as deep, if not deeper, than theirs just by being with them. So I have a couple of words that the Lord gave me, and then we're going to wrap it up. Do not despise your measure of faith. It was a gift. Do you understand that? Your faith was a gift. Freely given to you when you said yes to Jesus. And I don't care how much you have, and neither should you. Do not despise it. Use it. Use it. Why? Because Paul says, when he talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that it's for the profit of all. Not profit, person profit, profit as in profit. It's for the profit of all. When you use your faith, whatever measure of faith you have, it profits everybody. Do not despise it. So...
this this sermon was this message was kind of brought on through a series of different conversations, but there was one in particular that the details and who I was talking to obviously doesn't matter. Um, but I was talking to somebody and they were telling me about what they were going through. And it was essentially, they had just been through this storm, proverbial storm, and they just felt like they were coming out of it. It was like, okay, I'm, I'm finally figuring it out and I'm walking on the water and all is well and it's good and I'm at peace. And then like, boom, another storm hits. And the person was praying and just asking the Lord, like, what do I do about this? And the Lord said, gave the person a picture, and basically the picture was rest, just have peace. And the person was like, I, how do I do that? Like, I'm just, I'm really tired. And, and their exact statement that why I feel like it's okay for me to share it is because I felt it too, and I feel it too, and I'm sure we all feel it, is when is it going to let up? When is the storm going to stop? When am I going to stop just jumping from one storm to the next, to the next, to the next? I'm so tired. I'm so weary. When is it going to let up? And just in that moment, as I agreed with her, like, yeah, absolutely. I feel that way too. The Lord reminded me of this story of, of Peter walking on the water. In comparison to Jesus in the boat, in yet another storm, and how he was sleeping. And I think, I know I've said this before, but I think it's learning to find peace in the midst of the storm. It's learning to find rest. The storm is not going to let up. Unfortunately, or fortunately, we know easier in the hour in which we live, it's not going to let up. It's not going to get easier. Peter wasn't ready to be the rock when Jesus declared that over him. He had a lot of life left to live, but thank God, literally, thank God that he figured it out before Pentecost, right? Before Jesus left, and all of a sudden it was like, game time, you better be the rock, bro. <laughs> These guys need a leader. They need somebody that they can lean on and depend on, and that's you. That's your calling. That's your purpose. But I think the only way we get there is if we believe we all have faith and then use it. So, super encouraging, I know. The storm's never going to let up, but you do have faith. <laughs> and you do have peace, and that's also a gift. That's a fruit. Um, but, yeah, that's the encouragement. See, when, when I step into this building, I, I believe in all of you. I believe in all of your measures of faith. I do. I see it. I see it bubbling to the surface as we start worship and we jump into the first song. I see it bubbling and then it just, I can also see the wrestle. Do I have it? Do I have what I need? Is it going to work?
I believe in it. I believe, again, in all of you. And I believe we all bring something. We all have something. And whether it's said on this microphone or whether it's said from your chair, doesn't matter. The minute you speak it, that's another thing Jesus told Peter. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Because faith. Because he's faith-filled. I believe in us. I believe in this body. I believe in the, the body overall. This is not a plug. But I believe in the body overall. Come bring your faith. And let's see what happens. Because if everybody brings a little bit, the cup is bound to overflow. So bring it, pour it out, cup will overflow, and then we'll all get it back. And maybe then some. All right, I'm going to pray for us. Was that good, guys? You good? Okay. So Jesus, Holy Spirit, I thank you because I want to recognize that you are the giver of this incredible fruit and gift that we've been given. Holy Spirit, I thank you that at that moment that each and every single one of us said yes to Jesus, that you immediately filled us up with all of the faith that we would need for whatever steps we have next, and you've been doing it ever since. Father, I ask that in all of these things, that in every, every storm that every single person in this room is facing, God, whatever it is, no matter how big that mountain looks, Father, I ask that you would help us to remember that we have more than enough. We have more than enough faith to act, to be like Simon who hears and then does because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And although the situation, even in our mind's eye, how it's going to come missing, and although we might not be able to see, even in our mind's eye, how it's going to come about, how it's going to be done, we also know that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. Jesus, I thank you that in the midst of the storm, we can be at peace knowing, trusting, believing, that we have everything we need to move at the sound of your voice. Whatever you are asking us to do, whether it's praying, whether it's singing, whether it's believing for healing, whether it's working in miracles, whether it's prophesying, and all of the other gifts, whatever it is that you're asking us to do, that we can do it. Father, may we not have doubt in what you've done for us and what you're continually working in and through us. We thank you for the opportunities to grow our faith. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Does anybody... I'm just going with it. Um prayer requests. Anybody have 
prayer requests? I had a feeling. <laughs> Church and 